And I started a meetup group. And that one meetup of 11 people became 50. Then it became 200. Then it became 1,000. Then it became 2,000. Then it became 2,500. So like, it just kept growing because people wanted to know not necessarily how to live in a tiny house, but how to have a better life. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 41 with Will Johnston. I first met Will at the 2017 Georgia Tiny House Festival where he was a keynote, and Will really impressed me because he's a real powerhouse on the Georgia Tiny House scene. His organization, Tiny House Atlanta, as well as the Micro Living Institute, has done a lot of work helping to get the Georgia legislature to take up Appendix Q, which legalized, well, it didn't legalize, but it created a building code for small houses under 400 square feet. He is involved in several developments that are looking to pilot various micro living concepts around Atlanta. And he does a lot of education work locally, around town, helping to teach people about tiny houses and really show people the benefits of tiny houses by showing tiny houses to important people. So this is a wide-ranging conversation. If you're interested in tiny house advocacy, in tiny house communities, in legalizing tiny houses, then this is a great conversation for you. And before we get started, I want to invite you to a free online tiny house training that I am hosting on Saturday, January 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm calling it Before You Build, What I Wish I'd Known Before Building My Tiny House. And this is a free hour-long presentation that I do live. I only host them every four to six weeks, and they always fill up. They're limited to 100 people live, so to reserve your spot, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. So the way the class works is, first I clarify the most important pieces of your tiny house. I will tell you how to estimate how long your tiny house will take to build and how much it will cost. I'll teach you about the most crucial parts to plan out now that will save you the most frustration later. And the part that everyone loves the most is that I will stick around and answer all of the questions in the Q&A until they're gone. On past webinars, the live Q&A has gone on for longer than the class itself. I really love it. It's a great way for me to stay connected with people who are currently dreaming, currently planning, currently building tiny houses, and I hope you can attend. So again, that is January 19th. It's a Saturday. At 2 p.m. Eastern Time, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar to register for free. That's thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. And we are limited to 100 spaces on the live class, so please register in advance. Make sure you show up a few minutes early, and I can't wait to teach you what I wish I'd known before building my tiny house. All right, I am here with Will Johnston. Will is a thought leader and innovator in the micro-living world. Over the past four years, his organization has enabled policy change and brought acceptance of microstructures in the Southeast through events, projects, and advocacy. His philosophy is allowing people to think outside of the box by putting them in one. 
Will Johnston, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Um, so Will, tell me about yourself. How did you get into this? And you know, what's your story? So it all started five years ago when my soul said to myself that it was dead. And I was at a job that I just was not connecting with. Funny enough, you know, you, I had the life, I had the car, I had the friends, I had the nightlife, I had the condo, but I wasn't happy. And so every day I would wake up and I kept asking myself, how can I fix this? How can I write this ship? And I couldn't come up with an idea except leaping, jumping, just throwing my life into chaos, not knowing what will come out on the other side. So um, five years ago, I, well, actually five and a half years ago, I basically quit my job, sold three-fourths of my stuff, and went to New Zealand. I went backpacking. I worked on vineyards. I tried to expunge the nine to five corporate mentality from my life to allow me to take that next step. After three months of really enjoying myself in down under in New Zealand, I just came back to Atlanta. I, I built a great network. I built great relationships here. And so I said, you know what, if anything is going to happen for me, it's going to be back in Atlanta. So I came back and I just started working. I, the fact that I owned nothing, I didn't have this extra keeping up with the Joneses anxiety. And so I just kept noticing that my life was freer, more enjoyable. And, and I just liked it better when I didn't have to worry about buying something. So um, I just asked out loud, well, who else is interested in this? Who else is having this life? And that's when I came across the tiny house movement. And the whole movement has just been so exciting for me because it has opened up my eyes to allow me to just see what, what kind of life could happen and could be. So I am, um, I was just thrilled. I asked the question, how do we do this? And, and I started a meetup group and that one meetup be of 11 people became 50. Then it became 200. Then it became a thousand. Then it became 2000. Then it became 2,500. So like it just kept growing because people wanted to know not necessarily how to live in a tiny house, but how to have a better life utilizing the tiny house movement. And the tiny house movement just has, has grown into my world of, of becoming micro living and micro life. And so the micro life Institute is our 501c3 that allows us to really ask those questions, how to downsize, how to have a better and bigger life in a smaller space. How do we develop better? How do we think through our, our city issues, utilize, utilizing space? And so that's where we are today. You know, we are a thought leader. We are experts. We travel around Georgia and, and the state and as well as the nation and help people find their way strategically on how they can implement micro ideals to improve life. So it sounds like you 
you took this kind of personal um, desire and this personal experience and you're applying it to try to help people across your state to live tiny legally. Um, so what does that what does that look like in Georgia right now? So in Georgia, um, we helped pass the, you know, just like uh, national, the international residential code, the, the, the fabulous, um, yes, the tiny house appendix was passed. And so we were able to take that momentum and take it to the state of Georgia and tweak it a little bit just for the state of Georgia. So we were able to have the state of Georgia adopt the tiny house appendix. And that still only deals with foundational based micro homes. So under 400 square or up to 400 square feet, but it's a huge step in the right direction. Um, so people still in Georgia define wheel-based models as recreational vehicles. So we are working on that to create pilot projects and advocacy and educational um, touch points. So people understand these structures and why people want to live in them and how they can live in them and how important they can be to our housing products and the mix. So um, hopefully in the next, so I'm in the city of Atlanta and we have another big initiative that we're doing, you know, to allow people to live in micro spaces and, and tiny homes is a accessory dwelling unit uh, legislation that allows that grows the, zoning of allowing people to have micro units in their backyards. So it is looking to pass January 22nd. So right now, R5 zoning is the only zone that's a duplex zone that allows you to build an accessory dwelling unit in your back or side yard. This legislation would allow, would open it up to R4 and R4A zones in the city of Atlanta. And that would like quadruple the ability of people being able to put a second unit on their land for rental, for permanent residence, for um, access to people wanting to downsize. Um, then we are also giving talks and helping strategic uh, planning with different cities like Columbus, Georgia, Brookhaven, Decatur, um, Helen, Georgia, a lot of counties like Union County, Fanning County, Pike County. Um, there are 159 counties in Georgia, which the more we do bigger projects and get more word out, the more we are contacted by these people. So it has been very organic on the lectures, the education, the programming that we put together to, for city governments and municipalities to understand how to utilize smaller dwellings rather than fear them. Yeah, that seems like uh, a common theme that municipalities initially approach tiny houses with fear um, of, you know, like vagrant people or people who won't be part of the community. Fear, yeah, fear and stigma. Yeah. So how do you fight, how do you re-educate and how do you convince, you know, these kind of stale maybe government bodies that there is something worth exploring here? Well, definitely. I, I am a firm believer in see, feel, touch, you know, um, it's the idea of showing them a well-built product. Um, we have an escape traveler as well as a tiny office on wheels. 
that is, you know, great examples of 180 square feet. And so we just want more people to interact with these spaces. That's why we do our own tiny house festival. Um, We've done the Decatur tiny house festival for the past three years. And now um, we're, we're hoping to make a, a new announcement of, of bringing it uh, to another location in the Metro Atlanta area. So we're very excited about that. And um, again, we invite the municipalities, the people that fear it to these events complimentary. So they can see the interest they can see the people and they can see the quality of these homes that are being built that people want to live in. Um, we also, I, I, people also try to put me in a, a, a box around who this is for. You know, I, I want to normalize this housing option for everyone. I don't want to say tiny houses are for a certain demographic. Um, people think because they are small and tiny, they are cheap and easy to build. I don't find that the case. You still have to put a lot of effort into 180 square feet. You still have to think through the challenges of how you want to utilize your space. So every project can't be answered with a cookie cutter reply. Each um, pocket neighborhood pilot project that we look at is going to be different. Each accessory dwelling unit program that we create is uh, is going to be different because there is no one answer. I think that's what people don't realize is that we can't just depend on a solution. We have to depend on multiple ideas working together for a common good. And the common good right now is we need more housing. We are spending way too much money on housing. And we need to right the wrong. We need more products to drive down the prices and the popularity of having McMansions. We need to show people that having less stuff is a better life. We need to show people that tidying up and being organized causes less stress and anxiety in one's life. So when I first started this, you know, I admit it was, oh, look at the cool, tiny, small spaces. And now I always say in all of my lectures and talks and events, you have to look beyond the walls of your tiny house, of your small space, and what you want to be in your community and your society, because that is going to dictate how you live and how you build your life around your small space. So how I, I want to kind of get specific, because this is one of the most common questions that I get from readers and from listeners is people who want to do this legally where they live. In fact, I have a question here. Um, a friend and I are trying to set up tiny house communities for homeless vets in Florida. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Do you have kind of a series of steps or just a process that you recommend people following when they are, you know, attempting to start a legalization process where they live? So it's tricky because there are already so many great organizations that deal with homelessness and vet issues. And it's, that's, again, where I almost feel like it's more important to normalize tiny houses so people don't blink, at, you know, blink or shudder when they see them. I want people to not fear these spaces. 
even though I don't know if it's the best idea, it, it's part of the solution to utilize micro microspaces for homelessness. But is that the answer? Salt Lake City built an entire apartment complex with programming and health initiatives and got all of their homeless off the street. Is that a better solution? I feel like some people get tiny houses in their head saying that this is the answer when they haven't looked and explored at all options that would be better for the demographic they feel it's going to serve. Now, with that said, I think the biggest thing is to look for local champions, look for educators, look for people you can have a bigger conversation with because yes, homelessness, homeless are people too, and they deserve a better location to live. But people, but cities, governments, it's always the same thing. NIMBYism will always say we want to care, but just not in our neighborhood. We want to help you, but don't, we don't want to help you in our area. So how do we stop that unfortunate negativity that stops progress, that stops conversations, that stops potential projects that will help us. So my advice to if people wanting to start a homeless community, you're going to need champions. You're going to need local allies. If you don't start with just normalization of a small space and you focus on demographic, cities I, I feel and I've noticed that communities won't be open for discussion. So that's my approach is that I am trying to normalize accessory dwelling units. I'm trying to normalize guest cottages. I'm trying to normalize tiny houses. I'm trying to normalize tiny houses on wheels. And when that becomes a no, uh, a moot point that we don't need to discuss anymore, then it allows us for so many social impact projects to happen much quicker. So it's almost, you know, are, are they ahead of the time? I don't know. But it can be very frustrating because they've got two stigmas going into that conversation versus trying to show how space can be utilized in a city for a number of people. That Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought about that, you know, you might be going into a situation where people are both uncomfortable with tiny houses and uncomfortable with creating housing for homeless. And so you need to address those two things separately and potentially one at a time, because if you try to take them both at the same time, it might be too much resistance. What about somebody who isn't necessarily trying to do a philanthropic pro project, but just wants a place for themselves to live and maybe wants to create a space where other tiny houses can be, do you start by going to the city council and saying like, hey, I'm having this tiny house event or hey, come see a tour of these tiny houses so you can see what they're all about? Like, is that what you're recommending as a first step? There, I think it, the level of, the, of how much that person knows each other, like if you know that champion or if you know that council member or if you know that mayor, you need to have a one-on-one -on -one with them. I don't think, yes, I think it's definitely very important for them to see the interest 
and see the uh, followers. I mean, it's, it has helped us. I mean, we usually have around six to 7,000 people come to our tiny house festival in Decatur. And it's just wonderful to see the variety of people looking at these homes. And so it is a positive, but I think also people need to be visually told what they want to do. They are still afraid that you're going to tr- create, quote unquote, a trailer park. And that's where I think the values of the tiny house movement, as well as, you know, the structures need to be addressed. So it's not just talking about 180 square feet. It's talking about the values on why 180 square feet is so appealing. And we, they also need to meet the variety of people that are interested in that space. We have a pilot project in East Point right now. Um, it is a micro village. It's not a tiny house village, but it is 500. It's kind of in the missing middle realm. Um, the original plan was to be much smaller, but again, working with the city, you have to let things, um, be, uh, flexible. So the spaces we are building are 500 square feet up to a thousand, still much smaller than the national average of what a home is. Um, we have a wait list of over 1400 people just to buy 40 homes. So the interest from all demographics are there. I think they're, you know, just like a lot of big companies and uh, people love data. People love research. We have a a survey that about, I don't know, 1,500 people took. And we wanted to paint the picture of what a micro dweller or a tiny houser looked like. And we can't. It's every age group. It's every demographic. It's people who are ready to downsize and improve their life in a smaller space. Less space, more life, more community, more interaction. So I think that people need to come in and not just say, I want this, but you have to be ready to put on the presentation of the ideals of the tiny house movement from environmental concerns to uh, demographics, you need to have your deck in hand ready to do a presentation and say, I just want to let you know, this is happening around the nation. This is the interest in this area. And these are the people that are interested in living in this. Because then once you get all the people in the numbers, it's Things will change if you get advocacy out there and they vote for it. That's a big thing that we are doing in Atlanta. We get people to show up at council events. We get people to show up at neighborhood uh, meetings. We need people to be educated so it negates the fear. And it sounds like if you can educate yourself about what the challenges of your city are, like for instance, if your city has an affordable housing problem because they're out of housing and the city can't grow anymore. You can kind of paint the picture for them that tiny houses will help solve that problem versus if a city wants to expand their tax base because they're, they don't have enough money. You could then, you know, kind of paint the picture the other way and say, Oh, well you could start taxing tiny houses by making them legal and increase your tax base. So it sounds like you have to tailor the message to the audience. 
You totally do. Again, I don't think people realize that there are not cookie cutter answers to this movement because each city's different. Each zoning code and codes are different. I mean, we are not the same when we even cross the street. So we need you. It's so fascinating. People are like, well, why can't we do this over here? I'm like, because that's a whole other different project. I have to focus on Atlanta first and then I can come to you. But if you can help the biggest city or the biggest county pass it and create a precedent and create the, the ideas of, of how to utilize the tiny house movement for tax generation and, um, and, and just an all around community driver, great. Then you have a bigger example to get something passed in your area. So it's kind of, you know, making the bigger giant fall first, and then you're able to tackle the smaller ones. Um, and so it, it is it is fascinating because it is not one answer. It is research. It is getting to know the area, what they want, their ma economic master plan, um, you know, just the town 25-year uh what is it? Just community development plan. I mean, those things need to be taken into account instead of just the desire of one person wanting a tiny house. Um, there has to be bigger conversations rather than I want tiny houses. And so that's what I've been realizing. You have to get on their level of showing, of demonstrating and speaking to the research and desire of this movement. Well, that's really great advice. Uh, what resources do you offer to people who want to kind of follow this path and, and become advocates? Um, we definitely offer consultation and how to create your own uh, group to really drive change. Um, we also partner, I have to say, it's not just us. We partner with so many amazing organizations in Atlanta, like South Face or Urban Land Institute. Um, I mean, there are so many different types of organizations, and I'm sure there are just as many in, the, in that area of people wanting the, the tiny houses. You partner with um, environmental programs as well as governmental programs. I mean, Habitat for Humanity. There are so many groups that all kind of play in the same sandbox, and it is utilizing those partnerships, sitting down with them and driving change. Nice. So it sounds like you need, you need some knowledge. You need some, you need some time. Like how do you find the time to do all this? Or is this what you do full time now? You need some time. I mean, well, this is what I do for a full time. So I am the executive director of the Microlife Institute and we focus on research, pilot projects, education, and advocacy of the micro built environment around Housing, health, and community. Because it's not just micro living. It's not just a micro house. It is micro gardens. It's micro, um, micro venues, micro space. We need to utilize space better in cities and rural areas. Rural areas are worried about the brain drain. How can they change their ordinances to allow different types of housing to keep people in the town center to revive it? Then you've got urban areas and cities that land is too expensive. How do we utilize people's backyards? How do we utilize um, non-conforming lots? You know, how do we utilize the space that is there, that is in front of us? So it's all about problem solving. 
and making sure the people that are against you be a part of that problem-solving process. Because you can't just say, I'm going to fight you. You have to say, I'm going to convince you. And you need to bring the people that are staunch, staunchly against you with you. Because in the end, I believe they will be your biggest advocate. Yeah. If you can convert somebody who was a skeptic over to a believer, they're going to they're gonna be able to speak to other skeptics in a way that you might not be able to. Exactly. Exactly. We at the Microlife Institute, you know, our, our largest program is Tiny House Atlanta. And Tiny House Atlanta, we focus on our Tiny House Festival. We focus on uh, teaching basically Tiny University, Tiny House 101, you know, where we are now, what we need your help doing. Um, we are focused on creating new legislation to pass in cities and state on, on city and state levels. Um, we also, on the microlife event side, we do the micro home tours where we gather accessory dwelling units to do self tours so people understand what structures could be built, how they could live tiny or micro in a city, or how they can utilize generational housing or create an Airbnb property so they could live in the tiny structure and rent out their big house. Um, we also did something last year called the Innovative Housing Summit, which I think is going to morph more into a TED talky micro living, you know, exploratory day. You know, I don't even want to call it a summit anymore. It's 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 got to be more. It's got to be more creative and more passion. Even though it was a great day and we had amazing speakers. I'm ready for more excitement. You know, we need to be pushing the envelope and we need to be challenging our leaders and thought leaders to, to ask, what is a home? You know, how else can cities make money? We need to be looking at different options that allow us to live the lifestyle we want to versus being dictated to. In the city of Atlanta, we're only allowed to build four structures, single family homes, attached condos, um, mid, mid, mid rise and high rises. Those are the four products, housing products. And it makes me so mad back in the twenties, you could build duplexes, you could build quadplexes, you could build a bungalow court, a cottage court. We don't have enough types of housing products to meet the growing demand of starter homes, smaller homes, retired retirees to downsize to, we need more products out there. Tiny houses play a huge role, but it's not the only role. We need the missing middle. We need structures under 1,500 square feet. We need more housing. And the definition of housing has changed. What do you attribute those changes to? You know, the fact that in the 20s, you could build all these different things. And over time, it's become more homogenous. Like, why, why has that happened? I think a couple of things. We have lost the idea of what it is to be a community. We have removed our front porch and developed private backyards. We have developed cul-de-sacs. We have developed suburbia that don't have anchors for people to actually meet and congregate. So we do not know how to be a community anymore. So I'm a whole hearted believer that small spaces propel you outwards, meaning you're in a small space, you get bored. 
Go outside, go meet someone, go do something with your life. Don't just sit there and be constantly entertained by your phone, your TV, all the you know private whatever um, that you have in your house that we keep building in. We need the reason to leave. And the more McMansions with private home entertainments keep that are keep getting built, the more our communities will deteriorate and drive a constant split between people, not wanting to know their neighbors, not wanting to interact. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to live in a tiny space, but I think it needs to become just as common as McMansions. They need to be right next to each other. Old people need to live with young people. All the demographics, we need a mix of people living together. It's so interesting that when I first, like I said at the beginning of this, I just thought the tiny house movement was cool, small spaces and people living in them. And it is so much more. It is community development. It is, you know, constant research and education and understanding what drives us as a nation, as a community, as a group. And so I, that's where I'm so excited to like to be creating pilot projects that like we need to test it. We need the funds that will allow us to express, go in this direction. It will help us all in the long run, not just some. Yeah, that's powerful. What advice would you have for somebody who's maybe looking to do their own meetup group and putting people together locally to do their own advocacy? So my advice to you, um, if you start a meetup, what I learned, and I wish I would have started this, get people to at least do a little buy-in, $5, $10, because... Um, if you make it free, yes, it will grow. But then when you ask them for money to help you support the cause, they don't see it. You know, they, it's like, so you need them to buy in and say, this is a membership. It's $20 a year. I, I you know, I'm, I'm just giving you advice because I would love my 2,400 mem- or 2,500 members of meetup would be $20 a year. Oh my gosh. That would just help our cause. So you need it. So I know that our 20, as soon as I start working on this and saying, you know, it needs to be $20 a year, you know, I will lose probably three fourths of those people, but then have to build up all over again. And I think I'm going to have to do that because as a nonprofit, I, I need membership to play a role. And I think for you, you just need to think through what do members get? What do you need to tell them? And it is work. It is a lot of work. It's a, it's, I mean, if you're, if you're a nonprofit, it's a lot of work. If you're for profit, not as much of a headache, um, just because of, uh, you know, you got to work with board members and all that other fun stuff. Um, so just my advice to you, think what people would be willing to buy in, whether it's $5, $10, $20 a year. And um, it will aid you in your quest down the line to be able to say, you know, Oh, I'm bringing in the speaker. It's going to be $15. Everyone who's a member gets in for free or, but if you're not a member, you know, you can become a member and get in for free or, you know, so again, really think through and being able to say, you know what? I know this, I'm doing this and it takes time to do this and you should be paid for your time. So Yes, it's, I've made the mistake of being like, free, yes, let's do free. And now I'm just like, I can't get anyone to donate because they always expect it to be free. 
So um, that's my, sorry, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but that's my, um, that's my advice for you as you jump into an organizational meetup type idea. I was curious if we could shift gears a little bit. And I just wanted to ask you about your own micro living situation. You know, what's your house like? Where do you live? And, you know, what were maybe some of the challenges you faced in getting it all kind of set up? So um, I live in 680 square feet with my partner and our dog. So, you know, it's not tiny, but it's micro. Like, all this is not many people would want to live in small, in this close proximity with their loved one. Um, but you know, it, I got to the point where it's like the, the, you know, you look at Marie Kondo, you look at, you know, looking at simplifying your life and simplifying your wardrobe, knowing what you're going to wear. I mean, it affects your entire day to day. So, you know, being able to be so thoughtful of who you are, what you wear, how you interact, what you drive. I mean, it's wonderful. It's free. Like you don't need to worry about that next new watch or the next new whatever. I mean, it is fascinating. So my day-to-day and my interaction, like, yes, I live in 680, but I also work in 180. So I have a tiny office that we built in partnership with the city of Atlanta that resides on a major walking path in Atlanta called the Beltline. Um, we open our doors every day to let people pop in so we can educate them. And people always ask, oh, what is this, about 400 square feet? I'm like, no, it's 180. So it's a day-to-day reminder of surprising people of how great a space can feel on a smaller level. So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources, you know, could be books or films or even, you know, people uh, who inspired you along this journey that you want to share with our listeners? So if you don't know the gentleman named Ross Chapin, Pocket Neighborhoods, um, get his book. He talks about, I mean, they're not necessarily tiny hounds. But he talks about how a cottage court could be the shift and change that a person is looking for. And then I also would suggest, let's see, I think to study different tiny homes, I think builders of like movable roots or mustard seed tiny homes are great builders to understand the process of going through and asking what is important to an individual, you, to put into a tiny house. That's what's so fascinating about a small space is that being able to um, go through and know who you are and what you want and build that in 180 to 250 square feet. I think that's fascinating. Um, I would also say uh, Marie Kondo, Um, she's very inspirational because I think you also need to learn how to be grateful for the space that you have and to care for it in a manner that brings you joy. Right. She's, she wrote that life changing magic of tidying up. Yep. Yep. Which is a great book. And I believe she has a Netflix show that's either out or coming out soon. She does. I started watching it. It is, it is great. Um, it's so cute. It's so Japanese. 
but it is so her and it's, it's wonderful. And again, it's, it just makes, it gives you different perspectives of thanking your life and appreciating your space. That sounds awesome. Well, Will Johnston, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to, Ethan. It was great. Thank you so much. You can find the notes from today's episode, including all of the links and resources that Will mentioned over at thetinyhouse.net slash 041. And don't forget to register for the Before You Build webinar. That is January 19th at 2 p.m., Go over to thetinyhouse.net slash webinar to register. The class is completely free and it is really fun. I promise that you will learn something and that you'll have a good time connecting with other people who are interested in tiny houses and getting your individual tiny house questions answered. So again, the webinar registration link is thetinyhouse.net slash webinar. Thanks and I hope to see you on the 19th. That's all for this week. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.